Welcome to episode 25 of the Fire Safety Matters podcast, where we bring you the latest news, views and opinion from across the UK's dedicated fire industry. My name's Brian Sims and I'm the editor of Fire Safety Matters magazine. We're delighted that this podcast is sponsored by the Fire Safety Event, which runs at the NEC in Birmingham on the 5th, 6th and 7th of April 2022. To register for the show, visit www.firesafetyevent.com. As always, I'm joined on the Fire Safety Matters podcast by my colleague Mark Sennett, the CEO at Western Business Media. Morning, Mark. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks, Brian. How are you? Very well indeed, thanks, Mark. We just passed a press on the March edition of Fire Safety Matters. Lots of opinion pieces in there, as usual, and some great feature articles as well. We've covered things like wireless fire detection. We've looked at fire protection for hotels and the leisure sector in general. And also there's a second part of our FSM Live review from last year. Yeah, I mean, for those of you that didn't see FSM Live, you can still watch it for free. It's an entire one-day digital conference. Just go to www.fsmlive.com or fsmlive.co.uk. Either or works, and you can watch all the sessions there, including the first ever public address by the new building safety regulator. So it it was a great conference, and I'd urge you to watch it on demand. But as Brian said, yeah, we've just gone to press the latest edition of Fire Safety Matters. Uh, our biggest issue ever, or certainly one of them. I think it might be the biggest issue in pagination, but it's certainly jam-packed full of stuff, including a 27-page preview of the fire safety event, which obviously is our sponsor of today's podcast. And we hope that you can join us there on the 5th to the 7th of April at the NEC in Birmingham, uh, Hall 3A, I believe. And you can go to www.firesafetyevent.com to register for your free pass. And I've actually done the content for the fire safety theatre there. So we've got three days of CPD content. So hopefully you guys will come up, talk to me, talk to Brian. We've got to stand there as well. Tell us what you like about this podcast. Tell us what you like to cover in future. Um, you know, and just give us feedback about the magazine, the webinars, the website in, in general, and of course the magazine. So, but as before we start in the news, I always start off by saying you don't have to wait for this podcast to get all the latest fire safety news, prosecutions, products, and services. You can do that via visiting our website at any time, which is www.fsmatters.com. If you can't remember that, just Google Fire Safety Matters. We're at the top of the list there, and you can uh, click on there. You can see all of our upcoming webinars. You can look at all of our back archived on demand webinars for free. Just go to the website and click on the webinars tab. You can sign up to get our magazine for free. Uh, which comes out four times a year, along with also the guide that we publish annually with the FIA, the UK Guide to Fire Safety. You can also sign up to our weekly newsletter that goes out to 54,000 people in the sector, and that will give you all the latest news, etc., straight to your inbox. So there are many ways that you can engage with us. And it's probably worth also saying we hope to see you face-to-face very soon, um, because we are doing the first ever FSM Networking and Golf Day which takes place on the 14th of June at Celtic Manor Resort. We're doing it in partnership with the Institute of Fire Safety Managers. And you'll have a morning of CPD followed by a networking lunch. And then you get to play golf in the afternoon on the fantastic Montgomery course there. Tickets are flying. So I would urge you to get them before you miss out. And you get CPD for listening to obviously all of the seminars as well. All you need to do is go to fsmgolf.com. That is fsmgolf.com. Dot com and the added bonus will be you laughing out loud when you see my golf uh, and yes we will have trophies for the winning team closest to the pin and longest drive none of which i'm going to win so um hopefully it'll be great to see you there already we really got rid of um about 35 percent of the tickets already so 
goingfastfsmgolf.com. Right, so we always start off with the news. And Brian, it's your turn to start. What have you got for a solid news story in this episode? It's a fairly major one, Mark, as you'd expect. The Construction Industry Council has warned that late government amendments to the proposed Building Safety Bill, including plans to extend defects liability, are, and I quote, unworkable and could force competent professionals to leave the sector, in addition to exerting a negative impact on SMEs and potentially jeopardising, again in inverted commas, the Conservative Party's levelling up agenda. The CIC's comments are part of evidence given to the Leveling Up Housing and Communities Committee inquiry, which is presently scrutinising Secretary of State Michael Gove's approach towards fixing the building safety crisis, which, as you know, Mark, has been ongoing for some time now. Submitted evidence highlights that the proposal to retrospectively extend the limitation period under Section 1 of the Defective Premises Act to 30 years, announced by Gove back on Monday the 10th of January, could realise dramatic consequences across the industry, Mark. Currently, the limitation period is six years from the completion of the dwelling. A clause in the Building Safety Bill has proposed the retroactive extension of the limitation period under the Defective Premises Act to 15 years, and this is now intended to be doubled. The CIC believes that the huge increase in level and extent of liability under the new plans risks shutting SMEs out of the housing development process altogether and the wider building market itself and would force competent individuals to be excluded from providing services due to risk aversion within the insurance sector. The insurance sector itself could undertake its own analysis of the risks and prospective costs and potentially, again in inverted commas, mark walk away from the construction sector altogether. The CIC's response has agreed with the principles set out by the Secretary of State that leaseholders should not have to pay to remediate unsafe buildings and that those clearly responsible for profiteering at the expense of fire safety should be removed from those government schemes, providing them with work or that otherwise provide grants, subsidies or loans to their customers. What's your view on this story, Mark? It's quite a controversial one. It is a controversial one. And... Yeah, and I'm going to add a bit more context to what you said in a moment from a quote from Graham Watts, who's the CEO of the CIC. I think the biggest concern there, Brian, is probably the threat of insurers just walking away, isn't it? I think I think that's what it is. Um, you know, we can't have a situation where these premises just won't be insured. And it is controversial. I'm not quite sure how it's going to end up, Brian. I mean, it's, it's more than doubling, is what they're saying. Um, it'll be popular with some, that's for sure. But, you know, that's like any piece of legislation, Brian. It has to go back and forth with different inputs before it actually um, gets royal assent. So I think we're coming closer to the end than the beginning of this proposed bill now, I think. Um, and this is really the kind of the, the detail that's there. Um, I mean, let me just bring in... What the CIC say here is the CIC's response has agreed with the principles set out by the Secretary of State that leaseholders should not have to pay to remediate unsafe buildings and those clearly responsible for profiteering at the expense of fire safety should be removed from government schemes, providing them with work or that provides grants, subsidies or loans to their customers. Something that we can obviously agree with, Brian. So Graham Watts, OBE, who I said is the CEO of the CIC, has said... We desperately need to remediate hundreds of buildings across the country and increase the rate of building new homes. Yet these proposals could put the work at risk by making it impossible for companies and individuals to continue to operate in the sector. He went on to say it's vital that these very late amendments are afforded greater scrutiny to allow the passage of a government bill that will provide greater recompense for customers and also ensures the ongoing viability of the construction sector and its ability to help deliver on the levelling up agenda. So, yeah, I think he's, he's agreeing with me there, um, Mr Watts, saying that I think we're coming 
towards the end uh, rather than the beginning of, of this getting royal ascent. And he's absolutely right. Anything at these last minutes needs scrutiny just before it gets uh, put into legislation. So I'm, I'm going to move on to, if you don't mind, Brian, the, the next news story. And it comes from Bafer Napit. So Bafer Napit have highlighted a disturbing data on domestic fire safety. So in research that they have presented, um, which they've managed to collate data from the last decade. So that's basically from 2010, 11, all the way through to 2020 and 21. And it comes from records from unsettling occurrences in 424,464 dwelling fires. So let's call that 424,000 fires. These fires resulted in almost 82,000 non-fatal casualties and close to 3,000 deaths. So in more recent statistics that have been made available for Fire and Rescue Service nationwide, there's clearly an ongoing issue with either higher failure rates or a complete absence of domestic smoke alarms, according to Bay for Napier. In England alone, during 2020 to 2021, there was a 28% failure rate of smoke alarms. So just to clarify that, that means alarms that failed to operate or were not present. This failure rate rises to 39% in Scotland and increases even further to encompass 50% of all fires in Wales. So the nationwide fire kills campaign, which was launched by the government, underlines the fact that individuals are around eight times more likely to die from a fire if they don't have a working smoke alarm in their home. So both BAFE and NAPIT have said they can't stress enough the importance of having suitable life safety systems in place. And that's obviously, Brian, something that we completely echo. Um, you, you must have a um, reliable, working, properly tested and maintained and competently installed um, detection system in, in, a, in a dwelling premises. You just have to. Um, so provisional data from the Department of Leveling Up Housing in Communities reports that close to 176,000 new build dwellings were started in England alone during the last 12 months, which is from the year ending 2021. So, you know, construction is still a big thing despite the pandemic, Brian. Um, we seem to be obviously with the economy getting back on track, thankfully. Construction is is now back in full force and Bafer Napit have asserted that it's of key importance that the housing development sector complies with the building regulations and the relevant approved documents when providing appropriate domestic fire detection alarm systems. These systems should also be installed by competent contractors, they stress. So, I mean, there's some worrying statistics there, Brian. You know, we're talking about, you know, I'm going to go through the exact numbers again, but 424,000. Yeah, the exact amount of fatalities, by the way, in those fires was 2,982. I know we rounded up to 3,000. And it was 81,608 non-fatal casualties. And they're saying, you know, they talked about percentages there of just detection systems that are just not properly activating. It's just not acceptable. Um, and, and the point of them raising this, Brian, is, of course, really pushing the fact that these systems must be installed by competent contractors. And that's what organisations like BAFE, NAPIT are there to do. Um, they talk about third party accreditation. Only use those third party accredited installers to install your system. A campaign that we completely back, don't we? And so do SAIB and NSI, etc. And I think when you look at start statistics like this, Brian, it really brings home the importance of 
having these systems properly installed because you know we talked about um the fire kills campaign that you're eight times more likely to die in a fire if you don't have a working smoke alarm in your home so to make sure these are working smoke alarms brian got to be installed and maintained by competent people that's the point here and i think it's when you get data like this it really helps hammer home you know uh, the importance of getting this done so you know i'd applaud bay for napit for for bringing this to the attention because there's some pretty depressing stats there i mean brian is there anything else you want to add to this yes mark there is uh, you mentioned the fire kills campaign there ian moore from the fi has written a very good piece on that for our march uh, print edition of the magazine uh, for the uh, fi's opinion section so well worth reading that one but back to this story in particular i've got some background information mark and also some quotes from some people involved here uh, in august last year they launched its latest competency scheme in conjunction with napit we reported this on fire safety matters on the website designated ds301 this provides a route for contractors to demonstrate their competence for designing, installing, commissioning and maintaining grade D fire detection and fire alarm systems for domestic premises. DS301 supports the appropriate British standards and working best practice, most notably the latest iteration of BS5839-6, that's the code of practice for the design, installation, commissioning and maintenance of fire detection and fire alarm systems in domestic premises. Justin Maltby Smith, Mark, recently appointed, of course, as the new managing director of BAFE, again, as we reported on Fire Safety Matters, has commented, and I quote, this information clearly outlines the fact that it is extremely important any work on grade D fire detection and fire alarm systems is performed in compliance with the appropriate and current regulatory and competency documents. Having suitable systems in place will assist in alerting residents as quickly as possible to any emergency situation, allowing for a safe re-evacuation and affording the emergency services more time to mitigate any damage. Now, Justin has also said something else on this matter, Mark, and I quote, the housing sector has a great responsibility to use competent contractors, which is precisely why the BAFE DS301 scheme was developed. The latter will clearly help in evidencing this competency. We must not lose sight of the fact that these are people's homes we're talking about. Everyone should feel safe and be safe in their own home and also be confident in the safety systems that have been installed there. Also, Mark, Frank Bertie, the Chief Technical Officer at NAPIT, has added, and again I quote, These figures show the risk to life posed by fire is a very real threat indeed. NAPIT is proud to be leading the way with the introduction of the new DS301 scheme in conjunction with BAFE to provide homeowners, house builders, management companies and specifiers alike with confidence that the contractors who may use are appropriately qualified, competent and assessed. So once again, Mark, as you mentioned, the talk here is all about competency, which of course has been a core theme of industry discussions ever since the report emerged from Dame Judith Hackett's review process. Indeed it has, Brian. And I'd just like to round off on that by saying that we actually did a joint webinar um, last year with BAFE and NAPIT, which was titled Domestic Fire Detection and Fire Alarm Systems doing it right and I would really urge everyone that's listened to that news story to take a chance to go back and watch that on demand it's free it's completely free if you go to the FSM website which is fsmatters.com click on the webinar tab in the top navigation there scroll down and you will see the webinar which says watch for free domestic fire detection and fire alarm systems doing them right so if you can't remember the domain name the web address just google us fire safety matters go onto our website click on the webinars tab and do take a look at that webinar on demand 
So we'll take a break for the news for a moment and it's time to bring in our recurring guest who's Warren Spencer, who's the Managing Director of Backhurst Bud Solicitors. And, you know, we've actually got a fantastic conference coming up with Warren on the 11th of March and I would urge all of you to come to it if you hear it in time. Um, all you need to do is go to fsmatters.com and you can click on that so you can join us. It's at 10am on the 11th of March and it goes on to midday and it's on is the fire risk assessor's voice being heard so fsmatters.com click on the webinars tab so actually ahead of this brian when i was uh, sitting down chatting with warren earlier i actually posed a question to him to ask him what's concerning him about fire risk assessors so i sat down with warren earlier today and here's what he had to say Warren, how are you? I'm fine, Mark. And yourself? Yeah, all good, all good. Are you refreshed from your uh, family holiday last week? Yes, very very nice, relaxing holiday. Thanks. Um, back straight into it this morning. Yeah, I do feel a little bit bad. The very first thing you've had to do as soon as you come back after a week off is to uh, prep for this podcast. But we, we definitely appreciate it, my friend. No worries. Okay, so I want to talk to you about risk assessors. We talked about this quite a bit off of air. And actually, I've got a really simple question, which I know you're keen to uh, elaborate on. So, Warren, why are you concerned about fire risk assessors? I think we're reaching a tipping point in how um, fire risk assessors are treated and, and the role that they play uh, in buildings for fire safety purposes. The, the, when the order, fire safety order, was came into being in, in 2006 and, and when it was drafted in 2003-2004, there was a real emphasis on keeping the fire risk assessment task um, something that the layperson could do. Um, and the order is drafted in that way and, and the competency of the risk assessor was not an issue. And the order, in fact, was drafted along those lines. It only deals with general fire precautions in, in, in many instances. And um, the risk assessor, the fire risk assessor, was there to do a straightforward risk assessment. Now, um, we're, we're looking at the Building Safety Bill, and soon to be Building Safety Act, where competency will be an issue. Uh, but also along the way, um, uh, fire risk assessors have started to be prosecuted on a regular basis. And, and in some instances, that's been the right call because obviously risk assessors have to do a, a, a competent job and make suitable and sufficient fire risk assessments. And in the early cases where risk assessors were prosecuted, they involved woeful risk assessments and in some cases almost fraudulent risk assessments. And, and everybody would agree that they were were appropriate prosecutions. What concerns me now is that there's been a shift in, in that uh, if fire officers, for example, disagree with a solution put forward by a risk assessor or with reasons that risk assessors uh, are giving for taking certain actions or giving certain advice, uh, then because there is this disagreement as to the way forward, uh, the risk assessor is now being prosecuted if the fire officer sometimes disagrees with them. And I think that's a dangerous position to be in. And secondly, if that is the case, what support can a risk assessor get 
from bodies around them. Um, I am concerned that they are not getting much support at all, and I am concerned that they will not get that support in the future. And so, for me, this is something that needs to be tackled now. And the organisations that have risk assessors as their members need to consider what their role will be in the future along those lines. Well, that brings us nicely on to something that we exclusively revealed in the last podcast, and that's that we're going to do one of our joint digital seminars, which takes place on the 11th of March, 2022, at 10am. It's a couple of hours, and the title is, Is the Fire Risk Assessor's Voice Being Heard? Now, obviously, Warren is going to be running that alongside me, and um, he's got James from Black Hills Bud Solicitors involved as well. We've also got uh, Dr. Bob Doherty from the Institute of Fire Safety Managers as well. But um, Warren, for those that aren't familiar with this uh, conference that we're going to be doing digitally, what might we be covering? Well, I've just explained why I'm concerned. What we need to consider is what what the possible solutions. Um, I, I think that, uh, and I've said this before, that the, there are a, a number of disparate organisations who represent fire risk assessors uh, in their daily work and in advice and also in respect of competency itself and third party accreditation. Um, do those organisations need to come together? Uh, should there be one organisation representing risk assessors? Uh, would that be beneficial to have uh, pretty much um, one voice and uh, one standpoint as far as protecting risk assessors is concerned? Uh, all of these aspects need to be considered by people within the industry and I am not a fire safety specialist I'm a, I'm a lawyer who you you listen to my opinion and, and others do as well um, and I am concerned from a legal point of view that they could be left left out hung out to dry as it were uh, if, if they don't have the proper support and, and it's that third party accreditation and their membership of organisations which will give them the power in the future so we're going to try and cover these bases with those people who run these associations and, and who can uh, perhaps tell us what, what their interaction with the government is or interaction with the government is at the moment and whether there is any interaction with them and what what is anticipated competency that will look like and um, what third party accreditation will entail etc but also um whether things can be done to pr- provide them with more protection and backup if the uh, example that i gave that someone comes knocking on the door saying your risk assessment is not suitable and sufficient because i disagree with what you're saying um whether they will be supported uh, in that sort of situation because the consequences are a potential prison sentence or uh, and a huge fine Absolutely. And as you said, it's not just going to be uh, you and James from a legal perspective. We have got Dr. Bob Doherty for the Institute of Fire Safety Managers taking part. And we've also got uh, Ian Bowker uh, from Ensure Safety and Compliance. So we've got both sides of the coin covering this conversation. Should be a really fascinating couple of hours. It takes place on the 11th of March 2022 at 10am. And if you would like to sign up to attend this, and please do, yes, it's all over our social media, but actually just go to fsmatters.com. That's fsmatters.com. And right at the top of the page, you'll see a webinars tab. If you click on the webinars tab, you can scroll down and you will see the third, the um, fourth one down, I should say, is the fire risk assessor's voice being heard. And you can click on that 
to sign up and I'd very much encourage you to do so. So you can Google Fire Safety Matters and get on the website that way, but it is fsmatters.com. Click on the webinars tab, scroll down and sign up. So keep your questions in future coming for Warren using the hashtag on social media of FSM podcast. But Warren, as always, if people want to get in touch with you in the meantime, how can they do so? Um, obviously, a solicitor at Blackhurst Bud. Uh, I'm on Twitter and I'm on LinkedIn, and I have the website which is firesafetylaw.co.uk. And um, what, what I would really ask people to consider is is whether they think there is a solution uh, and what that might be. As I've said, I'm a lawyer. Uh, I'm outside. I'm an outsider looking in. Um, what's important from this webinar is that people give their views, their own insights into uh, how they feel and, and what, what they think should happen going forward and what, how they feel that they might be supported. Uh, because all I can do is, is kind of host that framework for, for people within the industry to come up with their own solution. Well, Warren, thanks for joining us. And um, yeah, looking forward to seeing you on the next edition of the podcast. Thanks, Mark. Well, thanks to Warren uh, once again for joining us. And now we return to the news. And Brian, you're up next. What's the next news story you'd like to cover? I am indeed, Mark. Well, health and safety-focused training business CE Safety has just published interesting data collected via freedom of information requests in order to reveal the number of fires occurring in buildings under construction, as well as how many fires were caused by the transaction of hot work in the UK during 2020 to 2021. CE Safety contacted all of the UK's fire and rescue services to obtain the data mark. 38 of them responded with recorded construction fire figures, with the rest either not holding the relevant information or having no such fires recorded. There were a total of 309 fires in those buildings undergoing construction. Fires caused by hot work accounted for 16% of all fires in such structures. In essence, Mark, hot work is the application of heat, flames, sparks, high temperatures and electricals. It's administered via processes like welding, soldering, cutting equipment, blow torches and similar items of machinery. London, with a total of 84 fire episodes, Merseyside on 19 and Scotland also on 19, recorded the greatest number of fires in buildings under construction. The remainder of the top 10 for 2020-21 were the West Midlands with 16 fires, Lancashire on 14, West Yorkshire, Hampshire and the Isle of Wight and Humberside all on 13, and Greater Manchester, South Yorkshire and Derbyshire all on 10. The regions with the most hot work-related fires were London, with a total of five such fires, and it's South Yorkshire, the West Midlands and Scotland, where in each case there were four fires. The records show that the causes of the fires were largely incidents involving blow torches, cutting and welding equipment or other equipment. Some injuries were recorded, while most hot work fires took place in domestic buildings where renovation work was actually being transacted. The nature of hot work in the building sector necessarily means that special attention must be paid to equipment and working practices. Negligence is often the main factor when a hot work fire ignites mark, with companies conducting such tasks being either unprepared or otherwise failing to initiate the right training. Hot work permits and hot work passports training courses outline exactly what kind of preparation is vital before undertaking such high-risk construction duties. What are your key takeaways from this news story then, Mark? Well, you know, we don't cover hot working a whole lot as, uh, as itself um, as topic here. But unfortunately, Brian, you and I have written many a prosecution story over the years where people have been prosecuted um, in relation to fires caused by uh, hot working and, and injuries, etc. So it is a really important topic. But 
actually I want to take a slightly different angle on it for a minute, if you don't mind. So according to insurance company Zurich, the cost of hot work fires over the past decade have resulted in total losses of circa £69.8 million. I mean, that's staggeringly high, Brian. Um, back in 2020, Zurich revealed that it had handled a claim that saw losses of almost £20 million accrue due to a hot work-related fire. So one single incident was a £20 million payout. The loss team at the firm collected evidence of the case and found that major failings had actually taken place with the management and the implementation of that project. So let's go back to something you said earlier. At 309, the total number of construction fires was higher than in the previous year when there were 204 recorded fire episodes, despite the downtime in trading because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So, you know, that that's that's interesting. And uh, Gary Ellis, uh, who is a hot work permit training specialist at CE Safety, um, told Fire Safety Matters, there's no doubt the most hot work fires are caused by negligence and oversight and are usually down to a failure to train properly or otherwise manage projects effectively and safely. He went on to say, every year we see fires in construction in regions across the UK, with most fire and rescue services experiencing at least one hot work fire to tackle. Such fires are dangerous, can cause injury and ruin projects, not to mention the fact they're often extremely costly, well, as we just saw in those stats. Ultimately, though, they are avoidable, uh, Ellis says, and more vigilance is vital. So we we can you can get more guidance on this if you want by going to the CE Safety website, which is cesafety.co.uk. So have a look on there. Uh, it's in their news section all about this. So, yeah, I mean, there are some key stats there. Like the takeaway, Brian, really, if I'm honest, is just how devastating hot work fires can be. And, and they're almost always caused by negligence and being people, as we said, that aren't trained properly or um, projects not being managed effectively. So they are something that we can eliminate. They absolutely are. So, you know, I'd urge anyone that's doing a hot working, you know, to take heed of these um, worrying statistics here. You know, it may not be the biggest causes of fires in there, but we've just given you an example through Zurich of one case where it was a total loss fire of £20 million. And, and the combined cost of total losses was nearly 70 million pounds um over the last decade so you know this is this is major risk to workers and properties so it's something that we have to take seriously and and i think again what we're talking about today brian like we often do on the podcast is competency and that moves us on to the last news story that i want to share with you and it's a good news story because i don't want this to all be doom and gloom brian and that is that the shortlist has been announced for the fire and security matters awards the first ever awards that we've held and there's really good news in here we had over 200 entries you and i were literally blown away weren't we brian by that i mean you've got to be happy having over 200 entries right brian Absolutely fantastic. For an initial award scheme, Mark, I mean, that's unprecedented, I would say, in my experience, certainly in 30 years of being a journalist. Yeah, me too. You know, I've launched um, other awards dues as well, and I've never had that many entries for a first-time event. I've also never had a situation that after two days of announcing a shortlist, I've had 300 ticket sales, which is what we've had. I mean, but this isn't about us. This is about you guys that took time to enter, and I'm so grateful to everyone that took time to enter the categories. There is a point to these awards, 
and, and there's a point of aligning them with Fire Safety Matters magazine and Security Matters magazine. Yes, our job to you through this podcast and through the publications, the websites, webinars, etc., is to inform you, to give you information that can help you in your workplace, can help educate you in the sectors that you work with. Yeah, absolutely. But we also have a job to try and push standards for the sector, to, to, to keep seeing an increase in competency and keep pushing what we're doing in this podcast today, the need for third party accreditation, etc. But also recognising the great job that you guys do. And in this situation, we couldn't do it without you. You know, we don't know every project that you're involved in. And this is your opportunity to submit your entry to recognise the key work that you guys do in keeping people or property safe, whether it was you, a team, your company, a product, a project, campaign, whatever it was, um, to have over 200 plus entries is, is incredible. You know, it was by no means a given that people were getting on the shortlist of that amount of entries. We certainly didn't get the judges to shortlist 200 entries. And, you know, we've got a fantastic uh, shortlist and, and, and I'm very grateful to the judges, very grateful to all of you for entering. I just want to take a minute just to go through these shortlists just so you can, because these people deserve recognition. And I would hope that for when we do the awards again, the 2023 awards, we'll be opening up later in the year entries for it. I'd hope you guys would consider entering like over 200 of you did because you deserve the recognition. So I'm going to start off with I'm only going to cover the fire categories rather than security ones because it's obviously the, the Fire City Matters podcast. And, and Brian, I'm sure, will uh, be talking about it, Security Matters and maybe his Security Matters podcast. But let's look at what the shortlist was for fire safety and manufacturer. The year this category was currently sponsored by NCAB Group. The shortlist is ACO, Advanced, CTEC, EVACCHAIR, Kentech, Bandweaver Technologies, Hachiki Europe, Global Fire Equipment, Apollo Fire Detectors, Side Rise Insulation, Hi Fire, and Safety Chair. I mean, you know, I can tell you there that there was more than double that that was in that particular category that, that entered, and they were women hard to have quality engines there and the judges had a really tough job on that and there are some fantastic brands in there for fire innovation of the year there's like 40 entries for this i do not envy the judges having to cut this down and the innovation of the year shortlist is as follows colin todd reacton fire class fire exo fire angel to fire safety ems csl paytol profab access 10 mat limited and maf associates as we go on to the fire safety team of the year, and that is sponsored by EMS. The shortlist is Anne Stay Horn, Greater Toronto Airports Authority. So proof that it doesn't just have to be UK uh, entrance. Alder Hay Children's Hospital NHS Trust, Securitas UK, the Fire Service College. I actually used to work on the Fire Service College uh, for the Fire Protection Association. So Firexo. Uh, Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea, the Institute of Fire Safety Managers, Leeds Teaching Hospital NHS Trust, Frimley NHS Foundation Trust, Hertfordshire Fire and Rescue Service and the University of Edinburgh. The Fire Safety Project of the Year, which is currently sponsored by Safety Chair, was Amazon Europe, CML Fireproofing in collaboration with FSR Limited, University of Leeds, FirePro UK, Plumis, Solid State Security, Southampton City Council, Harvardshire County Council, Hachiki Europe, Dr. Tony Cash and Associates, MZFP Limited, Charles Thomas Heritage Fire Protection, and 
3ET Limited, which is Emergency Evacuation Equipment and Training. Last couple of uh, fire categories was the Fire Safety Manager of the Year, sponsored currently by TO Fire Safety. Shortlist was Gary Jarvis of Securitas UK. Aftab Paz of Alderhey Children's Hospital NHS Trust. Robert Scott from Scott Castle. Neville Tumlin from Southampton City Council. Keith Todd from the Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea. Steve Dillaway from Veritas Fire Support Services. And Barah Karim of Jerry's Dinata. And then a final fire category is the Fire Systems Installer and Integrator of the Year. And the shortlist for that is a very short shortlist. And it's sponsored by Apollo Fire Detectors. And the judges picked these two. We had lots of entries for it, but these were the two that made the shortlist. Jamie Dawson of Gemini AMPM Limited. And Sam Mallins from Fireward Automatic Fire Suppression. So huge thank you to all of you that entered. The tickets are now on sale. We've already, I said in a couple of days, sold 300 tickets to this. The winners will be revealed at the Fire and Security Matters Awards, which take place on the 28th of April 2022 at the Coventry Building Society Arena in Coventry. Now, anyone that isn't familiar with that venue, it used to be called the Rico Arena. So that might ring a bell a bit more, but they've just changed sponsor midway through my promotion cycle, which wasn't greatly helpful, but it was what it was. So, yeah, it takes place on the... Uh, 28th of April, the Coventry Building Society Arena. It's going to be a fantastic night. Not only have we got these awards, they're being hosted by um, comedian impressionist Alistair McGowan, who's fantastic. And we'll have a lot of entertainment on for you. There'll be a networking drinks beforehand, a three-course meal. You have table wine on there. We'll be having magicians going around doing close-up magic in the drinks reception and at the tables. We'll obviously have the comedy set from Alistair McGowan. The all-important awards side of things. And we'll also be trying to raise donations for the firefighters charity which is a fantastic charity and furthermore um as soon as the awards are over well the night isn't over that's when we've got a band dance floor fun casino uh selfie mirror where i'm sure brian will put on a feather bow and a cowboy hat to take photos and you actually get to take the photos home with you as well actually as well as find them online um bar and and, and much much more th- th- there's a couple of reasons we do it isn't there brian most important reason is recognizing excellence in protecting people and property. Obviously, the chance for you to get recognition that you deserve, but also it's a fantastic networking opportunity. It'll be a great fun night. I mean, you know, that looks like we're gonna have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people there. So, even if you're not shortlisted, come along. Please do come along. You can get tickets at firesecurityawards.com. Firesecurityawards.com. And if you can't remember that, just Google Fire and Security Matters Awards. But I'd urge you to come along. All the associations are there. You know, most of the people on the shortlist will obviously be there. It is going to be the biggest night of networking the sector has seen since the pandemic. So I'd strongly urge you to come along. And a huge thank you to ACO, our headline sponsor. And of course, we do these awards in conjunction with the FIA. And we, we can't do that. The fire industry... Uh, association and we've had so much industry support brian in there it, it, it's unbelievable the security institute supports this ifida um ifpo um the institute of fire safety managers isrm nsi saib baif so i mean this really is something that 
the fire and security sectors as a whole have embraced. And I think we've seen that not just by the support, but the number of entries and how tickets are just flying. So please do come along. I mean, you you must be quite a proud father of this, Brian, because, you know, you're overseeing these awards with me. I mean, it's um, it's great, isn't it, to see so many people taking time to really give recognition for others or even themselves in this sector. It is genuinely fantastic, Mark. And as you referenced there, I think one of the key things I've been very, very keen on over the years as a journalist, but 30 plus years now, as I mentioned there before, um, is the whole CPD aspect, continuing professional development. And obviously competency is part of that mix. And one of the things I've always promoted is, is that CPD, continual training, continual learning. I think all of us, whether we're talking working life or social life, we're never too old to learn. And that's a key point of this. And I think the other, obviously, the other flip side, as you mentioned, is recognition, recognition for a job well done. We've seen that, in fact, across the pandemic in the security sector with the campaign for critical stroke key worker status, which was very successful among many industry bodies in the security sector. And hopefully we can energise something similar, uh, you know, in, in times hence for the fire sector as well. So, yes, very much so. Yeah, really excited about this. Hope you guys can all join us on the 28th of April in the uh, Coventry Building Society Arena. If you want to come along, just go to firesecurityawards.com and get your tickets or just Google Fire and Security Matters Awards. We're not hard to find. So, as always, we uh, round off with a, a final interview on the podcast. Brian, who have you got for us as our guest on uh, this edition of the podcast? Now, our second guest on this edition of the Fire Safety Matters podcast is Tom Crane, Business Unit Director at HiFire, the developer of wireless fire alarm and detection solutions. HiFire's devices are available for advanced or Kentec fire panels and are supplied with a five-year warranty, as well as being backed up by a dedicated partner programme. Recently appointed by the business to oversee future growth and also manage the nationwide sales team in the UK and Ireland, Tom studied marketing at the University of Portsmouth. He's no stranger to the fire sector, having spent close on seven years with Apollo. During his interview with Mark, Tom focuses in particular on the benefits to be realised from the adoption of wireless fire detection technology. Morning Tom, how are you? Hi Mark, yeah, not too bad, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, all good, all good. Different way of working for me uh, this week. I'm working out in Spain, so uh, hopefully the sound quality is as good as uh, it normally is, but decided with the uh, Fire and Security Matters Awards judging coming up and the She Award judging, I would try and retreat somewhere with peace and quiet. And of course, Hi-Fi have actually entered the FSM Awards as well. So uh, I'm sure you'll be keen to find out how the judging with everyone gets on in a few weeks. Absolutely, we're looking forward to it. So let's let's. I mean, I'm very familiar with Hi-Fi. I've been out to your facility in Italy, um, and know a lot of your staff here in the in the UK. But not everybody listening is necessarily going to be familiar with what's just come out from Hi-Fi, or maybe even what what you do. So let's start with what's new. So what have you had come out product wise in the last uh, year or two? Yeah, so I mean, to answer, answer your first question there, Mark, um, Hi-Fi focuses on on wireless fire detection. Um, so as you mentioned there, the, the product's manufactured out in uh, Trieste in uh, Italy. Um, we're based in Warwickshire and manage the UK um, distribution and, and, and sale of the of the product into the UK and uh, Ireland market. Um, with regards to what's new from HiFire, so from a product perspective, um, we are in the in the midst of our uh, Taurus launch. Um, officially, it was launched in in uh, July last year. 
Um, we went for a bit of a soft launch approach to start off with um, because we wanted to get our partners up to speed with it, make them make them feel comfortable with the product and, and, and learn as much as we could from that. Those early few uh, installs and, and, the, and the success of the product's been fantastic. It's been very well received. It's brought the technology on uh, leaps and bounds to where we were previously. Um, and it's these are comments that are echoed by our partners um, across the UK. Um, so it's yeah, it's our latest innovation. It's um, its focus is really on on the ease of use is how I always like to put it. So our aim is that we make wireless and it's very simple and as easy to use as wired is. Um, and we've tried to achieve that via various bits and pieces. One of those is the software. So Torex is the name of the software that accompanies the Taurus range. Um, Tor Torex basically is a, a brand new from the ground up software um, that is used for the uh, installation, the commissioning and the eventual maintenance of our wireless systems uh, running Taurus. Um, so that's the first step of that. In that, we've also got um, device setup procedure, which is a very simple now. Um, anyone that was accustomed to the previous um, HiFire range, it's worlds apart. Um, we now use QR codes. Every device has its own unique ID via a QR code. So you're scanning QR codes in via a webcam on your laptop. That automatically populates a virtual warehouse. Um, and then what we can do is drag and drop that onto live maps. Um, so the maps are, are there as a benefit of a couple of purposes, benefit of the install. So we people, you know, you know where we're putting it and, and everyone knows what's connected to what on the uh, on the map. Um, but also, um, when it comes to maintenance, it's very easy to see, um, you know, which device on on with it on those maps is is, is required to uh, be, be, you know, if you've got a fault, it's easy to get to that exact location and know where it is, um, or, or if, if it head needs changing, for example. Um, we've also built a config wizard into there. We know it's not day to day that everyone's doing a, a wireless, um, you know, install. It might be you come into it every every couple of months, or, 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 or for instance. Um, and what we were finding is people are coming for training, and they might not be doing an install for say six months time. So what we do is we still insist on training. It's, it's a I think it's a vital part of, of, of the industry, obviously, to make sure that people are, uh, are trained and. And have got knowledge of the equipment before they end up on site with it. But the config wizard really walks you through the steps required to get that system up and running. Um, so it's, it provides a lot of prompters um, for people to sort of lean on if, if they need to uh, as part of that install process. Then part of your the post is you've got your maintenance of, of the uh, the post install, you get a Torex report. So at the back end of that software, you can print a PDF report that basically gives you all the details of all the devices, all the data, all the install locations, um, and can be sort of put in the handover documents for, for the site, really. Um, so that's really the product perspective. From a business perspective, um, we are relaunching our new partner program or launching our new partner program. Um, so that program is designed to help our partners stand out by providing them with um, sort of our leading edge wireless technology. Um, and that provides benefits to themselves and also their end users. And that comes from the speed of installation, uh, reduced disruption to the site owner, but also the building occupants and and, and most importantly, the business activities as well. Um, so this program defines a sort of structured partnership 
for supply, the marketing and the support of, of wireless and hybrid fire solutions, um, which is sort of beneficial to, to all involved, really. Well, I'm very familiar with wireless products in this sector, and they've been around for a while now, but not everybody necessarily will know the benefits of them. Uh, I know they could be used in premises such as heritage premises to be less intrusive, etc. But rather than yeah. me to say the benefits of wireless, in, in your opinion, what are the benefits of um, this wireless technology? Yeah, I think the, the obvious ones to go to, Mark, as you just mentioned, there are the the heritage um, applications where you know you've got intricate ceilings that you don't want to put a cable or conduit across. Um, the other quite common and 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 what's wireless has always been traditionally used for is where you've got the um, the use of asbestos in buildings, um, and that's where obviously wireless has, has, has tended uh, to play over the years. Um, I, they, they are still relevant today. I think we do a lot of work with heritage um, buildings. Um, obviously, wireless plays a key part in, in that, uh, the protection of these buildings. Um, but there's lots of new applications now, and I think that's these new applications have really come about where the technology has improved um, and has allowed wireless to be sort of considered uh, in these applications. One of those sort of the benefits where, where, where this is sort of coming from is, is time. Um, if we find ourselves less, having less and less more, less and less time. Um, so to ensure projects can be delivered in sort of short timeframes, uh, which I think everyone sort of uh, has come up against, um, is, is, is one aspect. Um, again, mentioned, as I mentioned previously, reducing the impact on business operations. Um, you know, coming through the, uh, the pandemic, um, obviously, we want to make sure we've got as much operational time as possible. We've had enough uh, uh, damage to that. And, and, you know, when we've got a, a wireless project, that does assist with uh, making sure we can get the business up and running and, and in some cases, minimising the disruption completely. Um, and also reducing the impact on occupants of buildings. Um, so we do a lot of work with sort of care homes. Um, and that's an application where, you know, a one application where you don't want to be sort of creating a, a, a large amount of disruption to, to um, the occupants of those types of buildings. The other key one for me is labour. Um, I think you see it all across LinkedIn, you know, lack of labour, lack of engineers um, that's available at the moment. And um, wireless does provide us uh, a benefit to uh, to the installation companies um, by uh, reducing the amount of labour required on site. Um, but also through the use of technology, you can do a lot of pre-programming of the equipment off-site. Um, so that's also a, you know, a benefit for reducing the labour, but also the disruption on-site. Um, so, you know, these are some of the, the, the key benefits. I see, and I'll give an example of that. I was recently at a care home again, and, and um, they were doing multiple, um, multiple works on this site. So the ceilings were down, they were changing all the lighting rover, um, there's loads of works being done and and it was very easy for cable to be run around the building like I said the ceilings were down it wouldn't have been difficult to uh, to, to do um, so I asked the question and, and you know the answer came back is the, 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 the company involved in the installation of that building didn't want to be involved with you know all the other trades on site trying to schedule their works in uh, around them um, so they simply you know had their translator and expanders up on the wall and then left all the other trades to it and then you know, they're basically the last ones on site, even after the decorators in, in some instances, um, to come and program the site up, um, commission it and, 
and sort of reduce the time that they need to be sort of interacting with everyone else on site, really. So I think that's some of the sort of key benefits that we're seeing now and what's driving more of a should I do this wireless um, or, or, or wired sort of conversations. And, and that's really sort of key for us uh, moving forwards. Now, you talked there about a couple of different types of premises that you install your systems in. We've talked um, about healthcare premises there quite extensively. We've talked about heritage sites as well. But, you know, our readers and listeners to this podcast, uh, you know, are either installers, end users, consultants across a wide range of premises. It could be shopping centres. It could be warehousing. Yeah, it could be hospitals. It could be schools. Uh, it could be national trust sites, etc. So... What properties are you most focused on with wireless products? What is your core target area for those listening today? I think obviously those a lot of those areas you just mentioned there. Um, there's there's multiple sort of where we are working with. So um, schools, um, I say healthcare. Um, we're obviously doing a lot of work with, with high-rise residential buildings at the moment, um, as, as I'm sure there's a lot of focus on. Um, for, really, for us, the benefit is is communicating the benefits of wireless in multiple applications um, to say, you know, traditionally you could go down this route of, of using wired, but these are the benefits of why wireless are in this application, what, why, why you can use wireless in these applications. That's really key for us at the moment. Um, so it's the, it's the benefits and, the, and that focus on, right, you've got a particular property, here's how you could use wireless. And, and you know, there's not every building that will be, um, you know, completely uh, is, is, is definitely the route you should go down wireless. But there is a lot of applications which can be um, that are traditionally just being thought about in, in a wide perspective. Um, and that's really our focus at the moment. We you know we're a dedicated wireless company. Um, that's our, our, you know, our main we wake up in the morning and think wireless. Um, and, and that's our key going through that that partner program and working with our partners um, and we're starting to see that benefit now so there's there's multiple applications the other day we had a hotel that was you know a, a wired it was going to be a, a wired install um, promoted the benefits of wireless that's now been sort of changed over to to a wireless uh, wireless fit out now and um, so it is just a conversation and working with our our partners to to understand how we can use wireless um that's really our key and and that's what's you know most properties that we're focusing on are, are, are the discussions we're having really so if i can ask without giving out too many trade secrets what's next in your product pipeline so as said focus is wireless and it will remain wireless um that's our that's our core um taurus isn't finished taurus is a, a, a product range that is always going to be evolving um we've launched a, a solid uh, platform into the market and we want to build upon that now so um we're on site we're watching and learning and how people interact with the product and constantly feeding this into um the the r d team um over in italy so constant enhancements of the sort of mindset we have to ensuring uh, we're delivering a system to the market that is constantly improving and adapting. Um, so the next enhancements around that are defined. So that's product, but also, um, you know, the, the, the enhancements in the software. Um, and But we're already looking at the next after that. So we, we've got a constant pipeline of, of enhancements and new products that are going to be feeding onto that Taurus platform um so it doesn't just remain static it constantly evolves um we have just recently introduced the head of innovation role at hi-fire 
Um, so it's been taken up by our, our technical manager. Um, so his, his day-to-day at the moment is, is you know, the technical support and the, the um, assisting our partners with, uh, with, with, with the use of our um, systems in the market. So he's got an ideal platform now to be day-to-day involved with the, the support of our systems and learning what, how the products are used on site. But now also taking that into a, an R&D setting where um, it can be feeding in, looking at the new technology, integrating that, those two together um, to focus you know, on further on the wireless technology. Um, we've got a new product line that we're looking to announce later this year. Um, so again, that focuses on wireless technology, um, but also it mainly focuses on how we can keep people safe um, in buildings. So look out for further announcements uh, across the year on that. And I guess probably the most important question for everyone listening to all of that, and hopefully everyone now is even more clued up on the benefits of wireless and what kind of facilities that you can put them in. If people want to get in touch with you or HiFire to find out more information, what's the best way to do that, Tom? Yeah, so reach out to us um, via the office. We've got a network of regional sales managers across the UK. Um, I'm a big user of LinkedIn, so just direct message me on LinkedIn and uh, happy to answer any questions or, or direct them onto one of the team that can. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the web address for anyone to find out more about HiFi is www.hifire, which is H-Y-Fire-Wireless.com. That's www.hifi-wireless.com. And HiFire is spelt H-Y-F-I-R-E. And if you need to get a hold of their office, it is... 01926 485 282. But you can definitely find them all forms of social media, as we said. And uh, Tom is, as he also mentioned on social media, just search for Tom Crane Hi Fire on LinkedIn and you will find him. Well, Tom, thanks for filling us on everything all to do with Wi Fi. Uh, sorry, Wi Fi and Hi Fire. That's uh, nicely confusing <laughs> for me. But, you know, I've got an even greater understanding of it now and, and hopefully the audience does too. So thank you very much. Thanks for your time, Mark. That brings us to the end of this latest edition of the Fire Safety Matters podcast. Many thanks indeed to Tom Crane from HiFire and also Warren Spencer of Black Curse Bud Solicitors for their excellent contributions. You can read more on the issues raised here and others by visiting the Fire Safety Matters website at www.fsmatters.com. We do hope you've enjoyed the content and found it informative. Please do contact us if there are any particular themes or issues you would like us to explore on upcoming broadcasts. You can do so on Twitter by using the hashtag FSMpodcast. On that note, do make sure you follow us on Twitter at FSMatters underscore MAG and also access our LinkedIn page at Fire Safety Matters magazine and website. Please do like and share the content of our regular podcasts and spread the word among your industry colleagues. You can listen to the Fire Safety Matters podcast for free on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube or Podbean. All you need to do is enter the term Fire Safety Matters into your chosen platform search box. We'll see you next time.